Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One of the best things about Randall's is all the friendly and helpful people. And now Randall's is looking for more great employees just like you. That's right. All Randall's stores are now hiring friendly new faces to join their team. Ages 16 and up can apply today. If you or someone you know is looking for a job with flexible schedules, great benefits, career advancement opportunities, and even scholarships, then have them stop by the nearest Randall's store for more details. Randall's, it's just better. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel Wu, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the continuation, I guess, of the off-season previews that I'm doing intermittently for Real Jam Radio, and this is Portland Trailblazers, one of the most interesting teams for me with the off-season because they had so much success but still have the flexibility to get better. And to help navigate this water, have Eric Gunderson. He is the writer for the Colombians Portland Trailblazers blog. He's one of the most knowledgeable people I know about this team, where they are right now, and where they could be going. And for those of you who like timestamps, there will be timestamps in the description or what have you, depending on your podcast player, for where different things are in this about hour conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So Portland had an unquestionably successful season, and I think that lends itself well into a really fascinating summer and there are a lot of different ways to go with it but I guess I guess the best place to start is what do you see as their biggest need I think their biggest need is to upgrade at the center position I think the the centers that they had were all good at at, at certain things but it, they didn't have one guy that could bring the whole package of both being able to catch a ball in the paint and finish it with a right-handed hook shot or a dunk or whatever or anything in the middle you know from 5 feet and then also cover up mistakes on the defensive end or you know shortcomings that the Blazers have when it comes to their size and and things like that and i i just don't think that they had that guy that could really erase those mistakes and I think that if they could get a guy like that that would take them in my opinion to the next level because I think their wings should they keep all of them you know I think they've got a pretty good stable of wings yeah I agree with you and that was actually a question I got asked when uh, the last AMA I did on Reddit somebody asked about Mason Plumlee specifically and they were talking about that and my answer there was the reason why you need to upgrade on him is that it's hard to be a really successful team you know say advance beyond what Portland did this year 
without having a good defense, and it is very hard to have a good defense without that center, especially when they have Lillard and McCollum on the perimeter, which is a justifiable sacrifice to make. You will give up defense for offense at the guard spots any day of the week, but the trade-off that you then have to make is to get the right center. Yeah, and, you know, there's a lot of people, there's, there's more pieces and more you know, segments on the radio around here talking about whether they should trade CJ McCollum. I, I'm, I've written a column about that. I don't think they should do that. And I think that what they should do is exactly what you said. They need someone that can try and, you know, take them to that elite level. And I don't think that Plumlee is that guy. I think Plumlee, he gambles a lot on defense, like an insane amount. And it's kind of like his playing style on both ends. He gambles a lot with really risky passes on the offensive end, but he can make those passes. And I don't know, you know, his athleticism does help him, but I just, I don't, I'm not sure that he's that guy that can really take them to the next level with the discipline to protect the rim. I mean, he was excellent against DeAndre Jordan in the first round series, but at least after game one, but they need more. They need more from their guy in the middle, and I just don't know if Plumlee is going to be that guy that can give them more. Yeah, Plumlee's defensive ceiling, I think, is not as high as it needs to be for somebody with Portland. Like, you, you want to have somebody who can really be a reliable difference maker on that end. And Plumlee is a good player. He is somebody who provides a lot of value. I think that his capability offensively is unusual and actually fits really well with what Portland wants to do. The problem is that center is a primarily a defense position still. And you can get away from that if you have the right pieces around it. But Portland doesn't. I mean, and, and I've heard the the chatter about McCollum as well. And what I would say to, to Blazers fans that are listening to this is that it is so much harder to find somebody who can do what CJ does than it is to find somebody who can be a defensive, to be a, a defensive center. You know, like it's, it's, it's an issue of positional and skill scarcity. And so you work with what you have. There are teams that are falling all over themselves to find a, a guy who can create offensively for himself and others. And a player who can do that and defend a position other than point guard is even more valuable. There are like 10 guys like that maybe in the league, and it might even be closer to five. CJ is a special player, and I, that, and that's I think that's the thing that I don't want to get lost in this. And I think there, there's not only can he create his own shot for himself and others, but... but he and Dame work so well together in tandem, and there's already an understanding that normally takes years to develop between them of an I go, you go, and it's a, you know, they, they have a, a flow together. And it's not like, you know, they don't take, you know, there's a flow between them. There's a, it, it's, um, have you, you've seen, have you seen Pacific Rim? I have not. Okay, well, there's, there's this thing when they're like using the robots or whatever that they use. And there's this thing called the drift, which is like a connection between the two people who uh, use the machines. And I do think that there's like some kind of drift between, in a good way, like between Dame and CJ. So like they're connected in a way that's, it like they are just connected in a way that you can't see on the court. And I think that's something else that they have to consider, which I think they will consider when it comes to, you know, any decisions on McCollum and his future in Portland. And their personal chemistry matters a lot, too. You know, it's hard to find somebody who, when you have a, a ball-dominant point guard, and I do not mean that in a bad way with Damian Lillard, I mean it in a positive way. When you have somebody like that, who then you have a capable creator next to them, that that person is willing to defer to. I mean, I'm somebody who started to cut my teeth in the NBA covering Monte Ellis, and that was a big problem with him, was that they just he, there was nobody else that he ever developed that chemistry with, and that was part of the reason he got traded, was that he and Steph never got, never got it together. And when you have 
two players who make each other better and can shoulder the load that they do, it makes the whole offense work. And I have no idea why you would ever sacrifice that, particularly when they're on team control. The reason that you would want to sacrifice that and give it up is if you thought that for whatever reason, you know, one of them wanted to eventually have his have his own thing and let's say he was going to be a free agent at the end of the year and so you're going to do that. If the Blazers want C.J. McCollum on their team, they will have C.J. McCollum on their team. I think they know what they've got. I think it's it's a really special group, and I think what – it's an attack that it doesn't really exist anywhere else in the league. You know, I think we saw, we've seen people try to have like those two truly great point cards, those two poles at each end of the, you know, at each end of the court that can just, you know, create. And it, it, and then the other part of this too, is that CJ has turned into a point guard as well. And he can run the offense and you basically for 48 minutes, you have an elite point guard running your team at all times. And that is, something that no other team really can do. I mean, I wouldn't say that C.J. McCollum's an elite point guard, but he's an elite guard, and you have him running the show, and it's either him or Dame. So the other team's never going to get a break and as long as you have those two guys. And another thing that I love about their combination, especially because they can play together and separately, is that I like to think about the niches and the boxes that you need to check and the idea of you can put a third guy with them, so a third guard, who their job is to defend hit open shots, and, you know, initiate when they have to. You know, they, they can always be the off guy. And that role is something that is actually incredibly common in the league. You know, the, the archetype of it is probably Danny Green. You know, Danny Green can defend ones and twos. He hits, he hits open shots when he's hitting shots. Tyler Johnson can do that. Matthew Delvadova can do that. There are players who fit that bill all over the league, and they're, you know, some of them are expensive. You know, it's not the easiest thing to find in the world. But finding the third piece to make their guard rotation really sing is totally possible. And also, if you want to get away from that and, you know, just, just go a little bit more offensive, you know, use Alan Crabb in that, you can do that too. Right, and and I think Alan Crabb too, uh, you know, he I think he fit really well in that role. I think he was like the best version of that player because he was okay with not getting the ball all the time but could put the defense on his heels if he needed to. He's a good mid-range jump shooter as well as a good three-point shooter I think he had the highest percentage on the team this year from three and you know he's going to be expensive but still he's better than a lot of guys that you could put in that spot and like you said there's a lot of guys in the league that you know maybe even guys that we're not even thinking about that are you know at the bottom of the roster that haven't cracked a rotation that the Blazers have kept an eye on you know there's guys like that that always pop up and so that is a much more replaceable type of player than a guy like CJ McCollum totally agree so one of the most challenging parts of Portland's offseason and I don't think they expected it to be this way are the other two restricted free agents so that's Myers Leonard and Maurice Harkless they're both talented guys, had good seasons. Leonard, of course, ended by injury. And they're, we, I think they might have the most variable price tags. And the other part that matters is that they have, you know, sizable capital. The two of them combined count about $15 million on the cap for now, and we'll see where their salaries go. But with your connection with the team, where do you think that, that those negotiations are going to go from here? It's tough. I think that Harkless, you know, Harkless, like everybody that probably got offered an extension this year, turned it down, and, and Leonard as well turned it down. And so both of those guys had an opportunity to re-up, but there's so much money, 
and why not take a bet on yourself? And I think at least Harkless definitely made himself some money, but I, I think his three-point shooting will depress his value some. I, I think that he shot well in the playoffs, but I'm not sure that that's going to be enough to lure a team to pay him, you know, more than eight million dollars a year. This is just a guess, but and I think the port, I think Portland would be okay with trying to keep him at that price. Myers Leonard is a tricky one. I don't think that the opinion of of him has improved over the course of the year. He's had a tough season. He lost his assistant coach, uh, or at least his favorite assistant coach, last year in the summer uh, as part of the fallout from the Lamarcus Aldridge departure. When his when Blazers assistant Kim Hughes basically confirmed what you know I had reported and what others had reported that Aldridge was gone, and then he was fired. And and Leonard, I uh, you know I I've heard that that. It didn't really, you know, totally mess him up, but it didn't. It didn't help him. It didn't help Myers this year that his best assistant coach was gone. And I don't know what the plan is moving forward. And I would put it at like a fifty-fifty right now that he's back and he's a restricted free agent. So, you know, I think that says enough. I I, I have my doubts more about Myers being back in a Blazer uniform than I do Harkless. And that makes sense also because Myers is somebody who it is more likely that a team will sell themselves on, hey, this is the guy, he can be the few, like he can be a new age NBA center, whether that's a starting or coming off the bench, just that he is a guy who's valuable, even if he's 20 minutes a game, 20 minutes a game from a capable center is going to be worth more than 10 million a year in this new market, could even be worth substantially more than 10 million a year. And why Leonard is so fascinating to me is that we already talked about how, you know, ideally a rim-protecting center, but an all-around center, let's say, is their biggest need. And so they could be replacing Myers Leonard at the same time that he's eliciting offers, but Portland is going to be going after unrestricted free agents or potentially trade partners for that. And Leonard has to wait because assuming he has to do it through signing an offer sheet, even though the moratorium is shorter than it was going to be originally, that still gives them a window to basically see if they can find that guy, whether it's Hassan Whiteside or somebody else, before they make a decision on Myers Leonard. Right. They do have a, a small window, you know, and, and yeah, the moratorium is shorter this year, but it's a, it's a three-day window, isn't it, for the to, to match an offer sheet? Yeah, and he can't sign until the moratorium is over. Right, so, okay. So they have a little bit over a week, no matter what, and it might take Leonard a couple days, just depending on how quickly the dominoes settle. You know, hes I don't think Leonard is going to be many teams' priority. The center crop is actually the only thing that's actually deep this year. So, I mean, if a team does incidentally like what Portland did last year and just targeted somebody a little bit lower on the list early, but history shows us that that doesn't happen very often with restricted free agents because you can't strike early. You can't get that benefit. You know, you can't do what Toronto did with Jamari Carroll or what Portland did with Davis and Al Farouk Aminu, which is striking early and maybe getting them before everybody does their offers because they literally cannot come to an agreement. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, it, it, it's definitely different. And uh, yeah, I think the Myers negotiation is going to be very interesting. I think, you know, I think Crab is a guy that they've got to keep, but that could be interesting too. I mean, he talked about, you know, he's wants to do what's going to be best for him. I think that they can expand his role a little bit and give him more of a role, but you know, that, that could be tough. But I think of the, of those three restricted free agents, I think Leonard is the one that is, the, would be the most likely to not be back. 
And all three of them have the obligation to, when you're a restricted free agent, this is just the rule, is you sign the most lucrative contract because odds are your team is going to match. And you know if they don't. And you, if there, if it's really marginal difference in money between a better situation and a worse situation, then maybe you do that. But the odds are always that your current team is going to match. So when you, you hear that kind of stuff about, oh, you know, trying to find the right situation, that's what that's what unrestricted free agency is for. You don't do that now because you don't want to sacrifice. If somebody's offering you $12 million and even, yeah, you'd be a starter and the team would suck, that's still $12 billion. You know, you, you have to make that decision. So I, fir- I firmly believe that Harkless and Crab especially, and, and Leonard to a point, will go in that direction and then that also makes it harder for the Blazers to to, to decide, because if they're choosing on their own financial situation, then that means it will be the most onerous contract for Portland in all likelihood. Right. It's going to be tough. And, uh, you know, I I do think that Leonard specifically probably is worth more to Portland than he would be to other teams because of he's probably their best post defender. He, at least on centers and good back-to-the-basket players, and he's really effective against, you know, the best centers in the league because of his floor spacing and how unique of a weapon he is. And I, I've said this a while about a lot about him that he is more valuable the better the center he plays against. It's like it's this weird thing that makes him more valuable, but it does. And uh, but I just don't know if if the Blazers think that they just can't replace that. And you know they've also you also have to think about it. you've got young guys in the pipeline like Noah Vonley who you know he had an up and down season you know mostly down towards the end of it, but they still believe in him. He's twenty twenty one. I don't even think he's turned tw- he hasn't turned twenty one yet. And maybe you know they're like hey we'll just go with Plumley and Davis and try and get more out of Vonley and or and try and upgrade. You know I think they have. They have a lot. They have a lot of options there. They certainly do, and I, I I doubt you read it, but early, actually, I think it was before the season. I wrote a piece for Hardwood Paroxysm about the idea of counterweights, which is what I call it when a player's biggest strength is negating an opponent's strength. And one of the players I featured in that was Myers Leonard, because what Myers Leonard does as a as a primary benefit, we've talked at various points in this podcast about how I feel center is primarily a defensive position. And if you put a center on Myers Leonard, you're going to have to make some really bad choices. You know, whether if you want to maybe put somebody smaller on him or something else, like if you try to put your true center, who's a rim protector on Myers Leonard, they're going to be out of position. And so that means he is most valuable, actually, playing against the best rim protecting centers who almost universally start, except for Biombo on the Raptors this past year, which he's going to be starting wherever he goes this year. So... You're right. Leonard is going to do that. Of course, you have the the defensive downside that, you know, the reason most teams play a rim-protecting center is that they need them on the other end. But the idea is that Leonard takes the other team out of it so much, and he should eventually become competent enough defensively that that is a calculus that you can make. Yeah, that's why I wouldn't say that he – that's why I'm not saying he's gone. I just think the market is going to force something – is going to force Portland into something, and – it's going to be up to them whether they think that it's it's valuable enough to keep Myers at whatever number he gets or if it's better to try and find someone who is making a lot less or coming off a down year that they think they could revive. You know, I, I'm thinking of a, a guy like Mozgov, you know, like like someone like that who who's basically just fallen off but has a good history of being a rim protector. I, you know, I don't know. And, and this is... It's an interesting calculus that they're going to have to work out in this summer with Myers. And 
Portland's unrestricted free agency search, and of course they could be on the trade market too, is fun because, as you mentioned, I think they could be looking at the bottom of the center market, but they could also be looking at the top. I think they, in some ways, are the most logical destination for Hassan Whiteside. I think they are. I think it, it would be a very logical destination. I think it just it depends on what Miami does. And, you know, you hear all the things about whether the Heat think that Whiteside's a Heat guy or whatever. And I mean, the Blazers have not been shy about, at least CJ McCollum wasn't shy. He was even tweeting it at Whiteside the other day uh, about trying to get him. And yeah, age-wise, he fits perfectly with the team. You know, he's 27 and he's young and he's hungry and, you know, went through a lot. And I think he would be a great fit with the Blazers. I think age-wise, the things that he does, his rim protection, the way he just scares people driving into the into the paint would be amazing with Portland's guards. I just wonder whether there's going to be my, – my question, I guess, about Whiteside is whether he opens himself up to the market, which I think all indications on his personality show that he seems like the type of guy that would like to be recruited. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that, especially considering he never got that when he was – you know, because he – fell out of the league after his rookie contract. You know, He wasn't a guy who really even got wooed in restricted free agency at that point. He just got picked up off the scrap heap by Miami. And the other center that I really like for Portland, who had an underrated year, is Jan Mahinmi. And Mahinmi showed more offensive capability than I thought he would in Indiana. And he's already, you know, he's played in some small mar- smaller markets and had a good time. You know, Indiana's actually, in some ways, a similar NBA kind of culture to to Portland, in my opinion. And the big difference between those two at this point is that they already have a center of the future in Miles Turner. So if he goes back there, it's going to be in a very kind of a very different thing. And I think there's a reason to, to think that he might be uncomfortable with that. And Portland could give him a reliable starting spot with players that I think he would mesh very well with. And he's 29, so he's a little bit older, but I think that could work too. Yeah, there's history there. You know, Stotts was an assistant on that Dallas team that won it all, and Mahinmi was the backup center on that team. So, you know, there is a little history there as well. He has played in the flow offense before, so it would be a familiar system for him. Yeah, yeah, I think Jan Mahimi is another. That's a that's a name I hadn't thought of. I, I threw out Mozgov just because you know I figured you know if anyone could be gotten on the cheap, it would probably be him. But uh, yeah, Mahinmi, yeah, is, is another good option that they could look at. And I, I think I think Festus Azili is going to get way too much money for Portland, and I don't necessarily know that he would be interested. Azili fits part of what Portland is doing, you know, defensively. I think he could do it, and he's a great offensive rebounder, so you do that. But he is not great at the trapping Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum, give him the ball on the screen and roll, do two dribbles, and make a good decision. That's like what Festus Azili cannot do. And so that's actually part of the reason why Mahinmi might be the most interesting is that I think he might be closer to that than Whiteside. But also, I I don't know what it is with me with Whiteside, because, I mean, I had this thing running kind of throughout the year about how Whiteside didn't get enough assists, but I do think that he can be coached up in that way. I think, too, not to knock the Miami Heat coaching staff or Eric Spolstra, but let's just be real. I mean, their offenses haven't been very good recently, and... He, I, I don't know of Spolstra to be a great offensive coach other than being like, let's get out of LeBron's way like, and get, getting him in the post. I think that if he came to Portland, Stotts is a really, really smart offensive guy. Like, it's not, you know, that's his thing. Offense is his thing. He has gotten better at defense and coaching the defense, but offense was his bread and butter. That's how he broke into the league. That's how he, he 
And I think that if anybody can coach Whiteside up to become a better passer, play within the structure of the team, and just buy into the system and, and just get better offensively as a player, I think Stotts has shown that. And I think also not just Stotts, but the environment that Portland has kind of fostered of development. You know, I, I just think that that is a thing that they do in Portland. Like, guys, everybody's shooting jumpers, you know, for like an hour after practice is over. Like, it, it's just, you know, it, it seems like this would be a place that he could improve, I think. I agree with you. And what's also, we've talked about the center position, and we talked about how going after a free agent affects Myers Leonard. It also conceptually could affect Mason Plumlee, because the scary thing, if you're Portland with him, is that he's about to get paid as well. He is Mm -hmm. one year away. He is eligible for an extension this summer. And I could see it. This is a little bit more callous, maybe, than Neil O'Shea is. It's how I would be if any team is if any team gives me a GM job, is if Myers Leonard's market comes in a little bit depressed, and it might. I could totally go into think, okay, we're better off with Leonard and the other guy, whether that's Mozgov, Whiteside, whatever, and just trading Mason Plumley. Yeah, I thought about that too because you know Ed Davis is so cheap, and they they have him uh, I think for two more years after this after this year. Yes, on on a pretty cheap deal, and what you're getting from Ed, who knows who he is, um, whereas Plumley I think is still very much still trying to figure out who he is as a player. I think that that would be something that the that they would really look at, you know, because Leonard functionally brings so much and. If, to the t- to the table, and if you can get another guy that you, that can add rim protection, and you know you can make up for the things that you lose with Plumley with just shot making, rim protection, and things like that, you know I, I think you're they're going to be in a really interesting spot because as you said, Plumley it's a bummer for him because he hasn't he hasn't really had consistency in his NBA career. He had coach turnover in Brooklyn. He got traded last year, but you know with his contract status being you know, having just one year left and about to get paid again, like a like a like a starting center, probably. I think it's definitely on the table that they that they look at trading Plumlee as 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 great as he was for them this year. Yeah, that's the nature of the business, and I think that one of the other questions. So Portland, you know, we've talked about how they could go after center, and I think that's a good way of doing it. But if the top end guys choose to go other places, and of course that could be justified, one of the other ways that they could spend their money, probably the most logical, would be. On a on a forward, I guess, I guess would be the better way to say it than a wing, because it could be a three or a four. And what I'm wondering is, as somebody who's been around this team a lot, w- more than a specific player, what attributes would you be looking for for another forward in the Portland rotation? Someone that can guard bigger guards, I, 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 bigger guard, bigger wing players, you know. And I and I also think that someone that that can shoot the three. I mean, it seems like, it, it, but it, the Blazers' offense is an offense that is based on ball movement and spacing, and just like most offenses are these days. But it really is uh, important. I mean, the Blazers lost Wesley Matthews and Nick Batum, who jacked up all kinds of threes and made them, and then they just replaced them with a bunch of guys that made more three. They made more threes this year than they did last year without Aldridge drawing all those double teams, and I think. The way that the Blazers are now, they don't emphasize. They bear, they don't post up almost at all. They need a guy that can move, can play on the wing, defend a bigger guy that maybe Dame or CJ can't match up with. And uh, the, the two attributes I'm looking for are size and, and, and shot making. But you're thinking kind of more somebody on the small forward side and then having Aminu at the four? I think Aminu's home. I think this is the thing about Aminu. I think Aminu found his new home. 
because like I think he we we saw it last year in Dallas that he was really good as a four. But I mean the Blazers really like their best crunch time lineup all year was Aminu at four. Then the last ten games of the season they went Aminu at four, and they they're a different team. And I think that his three point shooting is infinitely more valuable at four. And I, I think that's his home. I, I, I think they should move forward with Aminu, you know, playing four. Maybe it'll wear him down a little bit. But he's also just naturally adept at guarding bigger players, it seems like. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I, I'm trying to think of a, a particularly good fit for them. Courtney Lee would be interesting, but I think he's going to want a bigger role than Portland could offer him. Yeah, because I, I think Crab, you know, if, if things, if, if they bring everybody back, I think we would see Crab in, in that role of like the, the six man second unit guy to go along with CJ to help carry the offense. And, uh, Crab's also much younger. Uh, and, and, and has, you know, has more experience to build off, you know, in this postseason. Although Courtney Lee would, would be a very steady hand. But I, again, I agree with you. I, it would be, it wouldn't be the situation that he'd want to come in unless, of course, they decide that Crab gets an offer sheet that is too rich for them and they go about replacing Crab in that route, which would be a very good replacement, I think, if they lose Crab. That's a good point. And the challenge being that they might decide in the opposite order because because Crab is going to be a little bit later. But you never know. Like Courtney Lee could wait out the market a little bit. He could could see that the wings are so thin, you know, Batum, Chandler Parsons, Harrison Barnes. There are more teams that want those guys than there are players available. So it would be wise for almost everybody below them to just wait for everybody to get really desperate. Eric Gordon's another guy like that, but Eric Gordon is a terrible fit with Portland, so I, I would I wouldn't go after him necessarily. And also, if they could get him at the right price, I think Gerald Henderson would be a nice guy to bring back. I think Gerald was a great asset, and I think you showed he he may be shorter than you would want, but he showed that he could play four pretty capably in the playoffs. Uh, you know, he's a pretty strong and athletic guy, and. Uh, I think Portland really needed his, you know, I, I know on the internet is a, is a fun place to talk about veteran leadership, but I think it really did help because he just, he just knows those little ticks in the game, you know, when, when, how to elbow a guy, how to, how to get, how to get into position, how to prepare for a game. And his habits are, you know, he's just, he was kind of like the professional on the team that had, you know, at least from a wing perspective that could show, and it was still playing that could show younger guys how it's done. And I think, but he does that, but he still has a lot of juice left. Like, you know, Gerald Henderson looks like he's 36, but he, you know, he's only what, 28? Yeah, I think, he, I think he's 28, 29, something in that range. Yeah, he's a younger, he's a young athletic guy. And I think he has chemistry already established with the team. I think that, you know, his, his three point shooting this year really improved, especially his corner three shooting, uh, more than anything. And I think he just, he found his rhythm a little bit with the Blazers. He found a role and I, I think the Blazers trusted him, but you know, I think they will wait on that as well if they, it, but cause I think they would rather that Crab grow into a role and probably take more of Henderson's minutes if possible and then integrate Harkless. But, uh, I guess it, that would come, it would depend on how much they believe in, in, in Harkless and Crab together, but they they could definitely use a guy like Henderson. Yeah, so Henderson's 28. He turns 29 during next season. That's why I was kind of thinking he was 29. And I realized that we've gone through this entire conversation and haven't even mentioned Noah Vonley. What's going on with him? Well, Noah, uh, you know, I, I think that he... 
th- I think this is what happened. Um, I think that the Blazers, you know, they, they were getting away with, with after M- Myers went down with Noah starting. Their numbers initially were very good. And then it just became that team started to scout a little bit better and realized that Vonley's mid-range jump shot or jump shot in general is just not there yet. And so they would just sag off of him. And so that shooting just became so much of a drag that, you know, after Myers was basically out of the season, then they were like, okay, we're going to play for real. They went to their best lineup or one of their better lineups, you know, that they had started before when Vonley got hurt, I believe, right before the All-Star break with Harkless starting at small forward, or at small forward with Aminu at four. And then they just stuck with that. And I think in the playoffs against the Clippers, they didn't really feel like that was the time to play him. They started going with Chris Kamen. And then I just think they just decided to go with all wings, all small guys and all guys that, you know, are a little bit more confident in their jump shots. But I, I do think what happened this year for Vonley was a valuable season. I think those minutes that he got are important because this was functionally his rookie season. Yeah, it was. And it also is a challenge for Portland because Al Aminu being so good at the four changes the way that you have in terms of minutes distribution because Plumlee, of course, played well. Ed Davis fits in somewhere, and I want to talk about him in a second. And so Vonley, when you all of a sudden also when you have expectations, I mean, if Portland had been the team that some thought they would be at the beginning of the season, then you can afford to, you know, if you're a 30-win team, to see what you have it in. But all of a sudden, when you're fighting for a playoff berth, and then you're fighting to see if you can make the first round and win the first round, then your your expectations and what you're doing changes. And so this is a really big summer for Vonley to prove that he can be a part of the new Blazers, and even if it's, you know, a 15-minute-a-game guy, to show that he's worth that. Uh, yeah, and I think he has a lot of potential at center, you know, especially with how Aminu's been successful at the four, which is another thing that the Blazers have to consider, as we said with the Myers-Leonard thing. You know, Vonley has, his rim protection numbers are actually quite good. I think they were the best on the team, uh, if I'm not mistaken, when I when I last checked. And uh, his arms are extremely long. He's very athletic. He's strong. And on the offensive end, he may not have a jumper, but he... You know, I've talked to guys within the Blazers that say he probably has the second best handle on the team behind CJ because, you know, he grew up playing in that AAU and he can really handle the ball like a guard. And I, I think that his skill set would really bring a lot. I, I think what he needs is just the maturity, the confidence. I mean, he's just 20 year 20 years old. And I, I think he is, I think he did grow a lot, even though his numbers and his on-offs were not that good. I do think that he really grew because he started to feel a little bit more comfortable. He started to see where things were happening. And defensively, I mean, his talent on that end, I don't think he has – I mean, defensively, I don't I don't know where his ceiling is. Because, like, obviously, it's, it, his mental makeup, he's not as the most aggressive as you'd want. But when he's just reading and reacting, his, you know, his hip movement, his athleticism, his length – he can guard point guards all the way out to you know the three point line and stay with them. I think he's a huge asset for them moving forward as long as he continue as long as he improves. But that improvement might be slower than they want or they need. Yeah, that's definitely true. And 
I so I was interested in Vonley. He actually was one of the guys who came in back when I was still more engaged in the draft before my NBA obligations kind of took me that direction. And I remember there was a time when I thought, oh, you know, he's an interesting small forward. If he can ever get a jump shot, he could be a, a, a solid small forward because I thought he had a decent handle and he played hard. And he grew into being a four, which was like, oh, that's perfect. Now he doesn't have to have that anymore. And if he can play any minutes at center, then those same advantages become even more pronounced. Yeah, and they had, I think they tried that against the Warriors once. <laughs> you know, I think they've tried playing him at center at times. And, you know, he has, like, the body and the skills that you could say are, you know, remind you of Dream on Green, but it's just the intensity, the mental makeup, the, you know, the nonstop relentlessness isn't there. And I don't know when the urgency will be there, but I think one of the things that Von Ley needs to add to his game is a little bit more of a sense of urgency. And that's probably just because he's 20. Yeah, I I think it definitely is. And the other young guys on this team that are questionable with in terms of contract, because Connaughton's actually on a guaranteed deal, are Luis Montero and Cliff Alexander. What do you think their futures are with this team? You know, I've heard a lot of the guys say a lot of really great things about Montero. And they say that, you know, they can't even believe where he's come from in the past year. You know, guys were talking about him in exit interviews, like Mo Harkless and, and, and Damian Lillard has talked about him before. And, you know, guys all have all talked about how much Montero has improved. And, and, I mean, that is, I mean, he, he was playing community college ball two years ago, didn't play organized basketball last year, entered the draft, and the Blazers saw him in a draft workout and just... They saw he's six seven with super long arms and has a pretty nice three-point shot, albeit it looks a little awkward, and they just fell over themselves. And they're like, I mean, I'm sure at that point, too, is like, well, we might not be very good next year, so let's try it out and maybe we give this guy a shot. He And I think that, you know, he has just a lot of skills that are just tantalizing in a vacuum when you just talk about them. But Alexander, you know, he had a kind of a tough year. He, he got injured. He had a knee thing. And... I just don't know if that if, if that I, I don't know if there's as much confidence about him and what he he did this year for the Blazers. I just haven't heard a whole lot of great things about him. I haven't heard a lot of bad things either. But it just there's been a lot more talk about positive talk about Montero and less so about Alexander. I think. And so, um, if I had to say like a coin flip on like which one would be back, I would say Montero probably be back over Cliff. But they're both so cheap that you know if they strike out on a bunch of guys and they just want to you know, keep those young guys around, maybe they just, they hold on to him for another year. And Cliff Alexander, to go on a little bit of a CBA nerd thing, is one of those rare players who actually might be hurt by having an early guarantee date. So he, they have to make their decision, I believe it's kind of right at the beginning of free agency with him, whereas Montero's later in the process. And so that means the idea behind that, why agents always fight for it, is that it, it allows you to get back on the open market. But the downside is that Portland is going to have to make that early decision. I mean, that does, of course, letting him go doesn't mean that they can't bring him back. It doesn't preclude anything. But I think that makes it more likely that Montero's around because they can really wait it out with him. Right. Yeah. I, I think Montero's a guy. And I, yeah. And I think, too, he just presents a lot of, you know, a potential. I, I don't know, you know, where he's at. I haven't seen enough of him in game action to see how much much he's really grown but he he's six seven with really long arms and has a pretty decent jump shot and used to play point guard so you put all those things together and you think okay we can make a three and d guy out of this guy and uh you know that that is something i think also too is that you know he's a guy that could potentially step in 
but you know, I, I think Connaughton is more. It, Connaughton's definitely the most ready of all of those three guys, those three younger guys that didn't really play at all this year, to um, crack the rotation next year. I think a lot of Connaughton. He's a good guy. You know, a lot of the rookies, when they would play pickup on their off days because they don't play, you know, Pat is usually the first pick. So I think that he is the most ready to uh, potentially have a role next year. Yeah, and that and he, I think he fits something that would be nice for Portland to be, you know, probably a low rotation player, more like one of those guys who, when somebody gets in foul trouble, he comes in. But those guys are incredibly valuable in this league. Right, and you you need those guys. And Connaughton was a really good three point shooter in college. He looked, I mean, his jumper doesn't look any different now, and uh, he's still really he's a really athletic guy. And I think he has a little bit more pick and roll control than I think we understand. I think he, at least from what I remember in summer league, he looked very comfortable with the ball in his hands. And especially if you know he's playing alongside CJ or a guy like Alan Crabb who's going to command a lot more attention, he's that perfect guy to you know be a you know a third guy that can just kind of float and attack when necessary. Yeah, I think that I think that could be a good role for him. And also just because we're talking about the full offseason, I feel like it would be good to give a little background on the whole on what happened with Damian Lillard. I can do that, or if you want to do it, feel free. You, you, no, you do it. You're you are the uh, cap expert uh, on this podcast. So Damian Lillard did make second team All NBA, but please work out how uh, his payout changed. Sure. So what happens is under the current collective bargaining agreement. They allowed for what's called the Derrick Rose rule after Derrick Rose because he was the first guy that it really happened with, where if you hit certain performance thresholds, instead of getting 25% of the maximum salary, you can get up to 30%. So one of those is, you know, there it could be starting the All-Star game twice, being the MVP, you know, various things like that. But, but the one that was notable for Willard was making two All-NBA teams. And the challenge with it, with the Rose Rule, is that you're negotiating these deals after the third year but before the fourth, and most players haven't yet determined whether they're going to qualify or not, so you have to negotiate this contingency. And depending on the team, it's gone a couple different ways. Paul George agreed to that if he qualified to if he qualified for the Rose Rule, he would only take twenty seven and a half percent instead of the full thirty, and he negotiated for a player option on that final year instead. So it kind of saved the Pacers a little bit of money, but it also got them that option year. Lillard is, to my knowledge, the first player who really had a shot at the thirty percent, who did not who took less and didn't get anything in return. And that's you know, you can call that being a team player, you can call it whatever the heck you want to do it. But that's what Lillard did. And it turned out that he actually qualified. So it's a matter of perspective in terms of whether it saved or cost the Blazers money. So it is $2.2 billion about. It's $2.15 million less than he would have gotten if he'd gotten the full 30%. But at the same point, since it's exactly halfway, it's also $2.15 more than he would have gotten if he hadn't qualified at all. Right. So he's both costing them and saving money. You know, the other thing that a lot of people have brought up, I, I think Eric Griffin for Blazers Edge wrote a nice piece about this, how, you know, signing Damian last summer did, you know, take up some of their available space this summer had they waited. But I don't think that they were necessarily just judging off of all of what happened, how things went down. I think they just needed to, I think they needed an identity and Damian was that identity. And uh, I think that that was why they, you know, in a big reason why they made that signing last year after Aldridge departed. And I think that, you know, maybe it did cost them money, but I do think overall it was a necessary thing that they needed to do to make sure that they still had an identity as a team. Because you wouldn't have wanted to walk into that season being like, oh, well, Damien's a free agent next year, too. 
you know, and, and not that there would have been any doubt, but I do, it, it did cost them, I think, 13 million signing him last summer than it would have this summer, as we saw with, you know, the Spurs and, and Detroit, I believe, are the two teams with those big max guys that got them to wait until the following summer to agree to a new contract. I can definitely see, you know, the fierce pragmatist standpoint of, oh, you would have had the cap, you would have had the cap space and done something with it. But at a certain point, when you have as much as the Blazers do, and you're not that, you know, you're not that team that you're going to do what Miami did, you know, where they just mm-hmm. pulled multiple guys. You could have a lower marginal return just on on that space, and to be able to say this player is a guy in our future, especially when he agreed to the full five years and less than thirty no, percent, and no option, no, no player, option. Op- no player option, no nothing. Like it's five years straight up. So I I understand why they did that, and it has become more in vogue to do what the Wizards did with Bradley Beal, and and you know they had a more direct path at the time for Kevin Durant, and who knows, maybe he's, of course, if he if he says he wants to come to Portland, of course, they would say yes and make it happen. But when you are at the place that Portland is, and, and especially with the uncertainty that surrounded the rest of their team, I think they made the right move. And even if you don't think it was the right move, it's at least a justifiable move. It's very justifiable. That Yeah, I agree there. I mean, yes, exactly. In a very calculated sense, of course, like you said. But uh, it, they, I think they needed an identity and they had a star and they're like, and they, they, and they got, they went all in with them and they, they showed him that. And I think, you know, had they not shown Damien that they were all in with him the moment that Aldridge left, then, and, you know, who knows what happens this year, you know, like all that stuff matters. Like Damien has said all the right things, but if they're not committing to him financially, what, you know, incentives does he really have other than just his reputation to really maximize the most out of everybody and do all the things that he did where it was like, you know, organizing the team camp with CJ or whatever and, and, and all that stuff. And so, you know, it, it mattered that they got it done last year. But at the same point, I don't think they're in the same boat with that with CJ. Like, I think that the expectation is probably going to be that they'll that they'll wait on him because if it's especially if they don't spend this summer, that cap space could actually matter. And CJ isn't Lillard. Yeah, exactly. And he's not the face of the team. He's not, and it's not a situation where they don't have a star anymore or they lost one of their stars and they really need to put a guy front and center. Yeah, I think CJ is definitely a guy that they could definitely ask to wait. I know that they can negotiate an extension with him. And, you know, there is the potential of the lockout, which seems like it might not, it's probably not going to happen, but who knows? And you, you never know how that might affect someone's perspective on how much money they would want to guarantee for themselves. But that, I, I think they can definitely wait on McCollum. And I think there would be a, more of an understanding there. And the franchise as a whole just wouldn't be in flux like it was then. It's going to be interesting to see how how Portland sees their future space in the present sense. I mean, I think a lot of it, though, depends on just who's available. You know, if if Hassan Whiteside or somebody of that level is available, of course you spend your money. But at the same point, if you reach that level where, you know, the guys that are on the market just aren't that appetizing, I could see them just rolling it over to 2017 and doing something similar to what they did with Anderson Vergeau. You know, yeah, exactly. Use their cap space, acquire another asset. That's the Neil Olshay playbook is to acquire assets. And, uh, you know, we've seen him acquire very good players before in via trade. And obviously the, the biggest example is Chris Paul, obviously, but he is a smart guy and they, they don't necessarily need to do anything. I'm sure they will go after those top flight guys, but yeah, that's another option is they might just, 
you know, try and resign their, try and resign a few of their guys, try and keep enough cap space so that they can roll it over and try again uh, next summer with that crop of free agents. So I guess where I, I where I wanted to kind of think about this Portland team is defining success, and it might be that it's a more nebulous thing than for other teams, but. Where do you think that they see themselves moving forward? Like, does this give them a hunger to say, okay, we need to do better next year? Or is there, or do you feel like if they, you know, had another top five finish and won or lost in the first round and then, you know, fell to a superior team, that that would be okay? Yeah, I think they, they wanted more. And I think what was really good for them, or at least encouraging from their perspective after the Warriors series, that even though Steph didn't play in the first three games, that they pushed the Warriors and were in close games with them. And if I'm not mistaken, they led for more minutes. They definitely, they definitely led for more minutes of that series than the Warriors did. And, uh, that, I think th- that definitely mattered to them. And I think, what the the quote that stood out to me from exit interviews a couple of weeks ago was CJ McCollum said we're a very good team on the doorstep of becoming an elite team and obviously there's a lot of things that need to happen for them to get to that point but I do feel like they have, they feel like they're an up and coming team but you know what does that mean and I think that being in the playoffs and just having a chance is is what they're going to have to do because the West is is going to be better I think next year and. I, you know, I don't want them to I, – I don't think that success should be totally defined by, you know, they if they don't make it past the second round next year, then it was a failure, or if they lose in the first round, it was a failure. I think they – I think what success would be was is that you see an improvement from this team from year to year, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the playoff finish, but just the things that they needed to improve on, whether it's, you know, uh, finding a center who can – protect the rim a little bit better. If you can get a little bit better defense from Damian Lillard, if you can get a little bit better defense from, you know, your team as a whole consistently over the course of a whole season. And it's not just weeks here where they're really good and then they fall off. And I think the next step for them is just to see if they can find that consistency in the regular season to really make those next steps that they need to take to be an elite team. Because I don't think that Winning 44 games, obviously, next year is that to me, that's not going to be a good sign. I think they need to improve their win total. And I think, you know, just making the playoffs and competing again, because in the West, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And you got teams like Utah next year who are going to be better. Houston will be better. You know, I, I think, you know, success would be just a little bit improvement on the win total and still making the playoffs, at least in my opinion, for next year. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And it's weird to think about Portland just because they have so much homegrown talent that they're going to have to do this next stage basically without any draft assets because they don't, you know, they don't have their pick this year. It was in the Aaron Afalo trade. And they're going to have to rely on free agency and trading and internal improvement. And that, that could, that probably will be enough to do it. But it is weird to think for me about the Blazers, a team, like one of the few teams where so many of their guys are homegrown to do it another way. Right. Uh, it is, it is a really interesting time for them without the draft pick. Uh, you know, last year they had a, uh, they had their, they had a first rounder, which they flipped and, you know, they got Plumley out of it and they got Connaughton out of it with, with along with Steve Blake. And, Paul Allen has bought picks before. Olshay loves the draft. They're they're you know doing all their draft stuff right now. But they do have the 2018 first from Cleveland, and you know that's something that they could attach to a guy like Mason Plumley and, and and maybe another player and, and see what you get. 
so yeah, they, they do have some assets, but it's not, you know, they don't have their pick this year, which is always the, you know, the one that helps. It seems like those, those picks grease the wheels a little bit more than future ones. So I think I think where we can end this is is there any one single signing that you th- that you would most push for if you could be a voice in the room for the Blazers? Mm. I would say Whiteside. You know, if if, if if you could push for one guy really really hard and it's a realistic possibility that he would leave, I I would go after Whiteside. I think Al Horford would, is a nice thought. I, I just don't think that Portland is the place for him really, even though Luis Montero is Dominican. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I'm not seeing it. So I I would say Whiteside. Yeah, I'd say Whiteside, and I also really like Mahimi there, just as a more reasonable outcome. And Mahimi, also because of the because of the performance that Biombo had, might actually be cheaper. Yeah, and actually, one other name that I wanted to throw out there, I don't know what, what you think, but what about Joe Noah? Like, I think, I think Joe Noah is a guy that, I mean, he's been beat up, and you, know, you, you have to wonder about the tread left on those tires, but I do think that Joe Noah... You know, given his you know personality, would would be a good fit culturally in Portland, as well as I think his intensity, his passing would fit really well in Portland system. And I think that that's a you know another potential guy, depending on his price, should they swig and miss on the big guys, which they probably will, is maybe another guy that they could look at. Yeah, I I think Noah is a great fit at the right price and the right number of years, which actually might be more important because you don't want to commit to him long term unless it's of course super cheap. You know, if it's at the like the mid level exception, of course you can you can sign him for four years to that. But in terms of culture, in terms of short term fit, yeah, I, I, if you do that, I would actually like Noah more on a team that kind of feels they have their center of the future, but their center of the future isn't ready. So that's not really Portland, but Portland, right. Portland could see that as just that as the idea of him being a stopgap instead. So he's not the mentor part of it. He's more just the, the, the tone setter defensively and all that. And that that's definitely worth it. So he would be on, on my radar for them. Another guy who, like Biombo, like I just said, like it, it will depend so much on if another team goes crazy and just makes them an offer that they shouldn't. But Portland should definitely be calling him. They should be calling all guys. I mean, they should be talking to Roy Hibbert, though they absolutely should not overpay Roy Hibbert. No, and I, and I don't think they will. And I, I think the one thing we've learned is the Blazers are pretty shrewd uh, when it comes to negotiating and getting good deals. And... You know, the Cantor Max aside, which I think, you know, they're, they're pretty good at finding value. So I think they will be smart. I think they'll look at lower level guys, you know, if they strike out. And I think they'll, they'll, they'll be smart. I, I don't necessarily think that, um, looking for the, 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 the keyword last year was career arc. That was the buzzword last year of the Blazers. I would not, I said this the other day on a radio interview. I would not take that and apply it to this year when it comes to the guys that they're going to add, you know, they're, they just need, they just need guys now. It doesn't, I don't think it necessarily matters that they're the same age as game. You know, I, I think that's something that I want Blazers fans to remember is that it's not necessarily just about career. It's not career arc anymore. It's about winning now. Yeah. I think that's a great way of putting it. And, being as successful as they were last offseason affected one affected that timeline but or mentality but did not affect the other which is no bad contracts and i think that that is something that Olshay deserves a ton of credit for that aminu and davis are both deals that you know a year later they looked good then but they look even better now and there aren't going to be many of those this year and so for certain teams, and Portland might be one of those, if you can't hit on the best guys, the best tact might be to just lay low and see see what happens with that. And 
I actually led Lillard in on on the in the post game after they were eliminated by the Warriors and into a kind of a, a discussion about like why Portland should be good for free agents. And I think that a lot of people will apply that kind of a pitch about how it's a close knit group and they really like each other and they're fun to play with with the Max guys. But I think that's also true for whoever gets left in the cold in this market, and inevitably it'll be somebody. Mm-hmm. And Portland is a, is a nice landing place for some of those guys. I think that all the things that have happened this year with the Blazers, the, the people notice that, and people notice that they like playing with each other. I mean, even, you know, it's funny, uh, another guy that has been rumored to be interested in Portland was is Dwight Howard, and I even remember that crazy Houston meltdown game when, like, you know, Dwight and, and James Harden stayed back to have a meeting with Daryl Morey and stuff. Before Dwight went into the locker room, he went into the huddle with the Blazers and was just like, it just seemed like he wanted to hang out with them because they were all having a good time. I don't you know, it's just like, the, it, it sounds cliche, but I mean, they really do have like a pretty good atmosphere there. And like you said, for guys that are left out in the cold that may not be the biggest name free agents, that type of environment also might bring out the best in those type of guys. I can't believe we almost made it through this whole podcast without talking about Dwight Howard, but I still th- I think he's not a great fit for Portland. Well, I'm applying the Joe Noah logic here that it, it the years is the most important thing for Dwight. I think you could pay a pretty substantial amount of money for two years or whatever for Dwight or with like a third year option or something. But there's concerns about to me the biggest concern would be like his back and and, and just his health more than anything because I think I think Dame would do a really good job of including him, you know, and I think that was one of the things that he was kind of one of the complaints that, you know, we've heard about Dwight in Houston is that he didn't feel like he was included. And that's the one thing that Damian does is that one through 15, he includes everybody. He's joking with everyone all the time. He's talking. It it doesn't matter who you are on the team. He'll talk to you. And I think the Blazers would understand probably better how to take care of Dwight, even though he's, you know, there's a lot of questions about him. I, I think at least mentally and, and, and culturally, I think Dwight would be okay with the Blazers, but it's all the other stuff, the physical stuff that I worry most about. Yeah, I think that's definitely a fair way of putting it. And since we've been talking about big men, the other guy I want to throw in there just quickly is Nene. I think Nene would be a nice fit if they wanted a lower, like a more of a backup guy. I think he'd be a nice fit. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a very skilled offense, at least more skilled than what they've got on the team right now at that position. Yeah, Miles Miles Plumley again, another guy like that. If he if they decline his qual if they decline his qualifying offer, which which Milwaukee might. Oh my God, Plumley Bros. Yeah, well, what would be super awkward is sign Miles Plumley and then trade Mason. <laughs> they, that would that would make Olshay a very hated man in the Plumley household, I'm sure. Yeah, except that he'd be giving Miles a contract, which is always nice. That is true. Because Mason's, Mason's going to get paid. Like, that's not an issue. Yeah, I, I was actually, uh, I can't remember what team it was when Nate, Nate and I were doing our off-season previews, and I was, there was one team that I thought about would be good thoughts for, would be good for both of the afterthought brothers, for Ty, for Tyler Zeller and for, for Miles Plumley. Now I'm trying to remember what team it was. Not Portland, but Portland actually does make sense for Tyler Zeller, too. Yeah, is he a free agent? Yeah, he's restricted. Just, yeah, he's, he's restricted. So that, you know, eh, I... Eh. Yeah, I think uh, that's just kind of like, like he he could be another one of those guys who's left out in the cold. You know, if if Portland doesn't get the guys they want and they do that, he could be another fit. Yeah, the I I don't think uh you know I don't think guys like Zaza are gonna move the needle much for Portland, but you know they're gonna look at they're gonna look at everything, and I think that's the one thing that we've learned is that no one no type of contract is off the table. But the Blazers, I think, as they did last year, they went after Greg Monroe. You know that that was their number one target after Aldridge you know, wasn't going to be back. And 
they went after him, they swung and missed, and they went right to Ed Davis. So I, you know, I think that that type of thing is they're going to go big first, and and that's the one thing that you know about Olshay. He's going to try to go big, but he's also not going to be caught with his pants down in terms of contingencies. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a good a good attitude to to do, especially when you can move on as quickly as they did, because they Portland did a, a wonderful job last year of having plans in place and executing them. I think I think we'll see more of the same this year. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me, Danny. Thanks again to Eric Gunderson for taking the time to come on. You can read him at The Columbian, and you can follow him on Twitter at Blazer Banter. That's B-L-A-Z-E-R-B-A-N-T-E-R. He does a really great job for them and has a, has a good finger on the pulse of, of what they're going to do. And Portland does have a, a really impactful summer because they're already good. Some of the teams that are going to be important, let's say Orlando or, well, Washington's been good in the past, but, you know, some of those teams don't have the immediate track record that Portland does. They were the fifth seed in the West, and they have everybody theoretically coming back. And so if they can add on top of that, especially if it can be a starting caliber center, they could maybe try to push their way into the top four. I don't think they'd be able to get into the top three unless Duncan retires. But, you know, that's still a really good place to be, and that's part of what I was getting at with our conversation in there about defining success is that, it's very possible that Portland gets to a place where they're very good, where they're a perennial playoff team hosting playoff series, but not really a championship contender. And I don't see anything wrong whatsoever with that. If you can push beyond it, wonderful. If you can't, you can't. And I do think that they have a good head on their shoulders with that. And they have done a, a wonderful job identifying talent and getting them at a reasonable price. Aminu and Davis are probably two of the best examples of that last year. Of course, Jay Crowder being another and it will be a lot of fun to see where what they do moving forward as the team that succeeded this year in the West that can improve the most through the offseason. Unless, of course, the Warriors get to rant, which they won't. So thank you so much for listening. If you have any feedback, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or Danny LaRue NBA at gmail.com. I read everything. I respond when I can. I make no promises there. All I promise is that I read it, and I do. And it'll take me a while to get back. I think I have something like 25 what I would consider reader emails that I want to get back to, but I have read their original comments all the way. And, you know, maybe I won't get have the time to get back to them. But anyway, I try. And I do appreciate that feedback, and I do incorporate it because it's important to me. And that, again, along those lines, if you have any reviews that you can submit, or whether that be just the numbers and the stars or actually writing something down because that does help for advertisers. It does help with the rankings and everything like that. And of course, that is also true of the Dunked On Basketball podcast. If you haven't listened to it, I also did an NBA Finals preview for Real Jam Radio, which is still still evergreen enough. You know, it was Audie Joseph, Kevin Pelton, and Ian Levy. And we went through kind of dynamics of the series in separate conversations. I think it went well. And then, of course, if you want game-by-game breakdowns, Nate and I do the Dunked On Basketball podcast after every game after a game every game of the NBA finals so that will be there and of course we've already done game one I am recording this outro on Friday having recorded this actually before game one of the finals with Eric so thank you again to Eric for coming on thank you so much for listening and make it a great day
Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active. Run to Old Navy for revolutionary prices on summer's most stylish shorts. Tomorrow only, they're all 50% off for the whole family. All your favorite shorts, denim, linen, all of them. All shorts are 50% off tomorrow only. Run to Old Navy. Valid 630 excludes active. One of the best things about Randall's is all the friendly and helpful people. And now, Randall's is looking for more great employees just like you. That's right. All Randall's stores are now hiring friendly new faces to join their team. Ages 16 and up can apply today. If you or someone you know is looking for a job with flexible schedules, great benefits, career advancement opportunities, and even scholarships, then have them stop by the nearest Randall's store for more details. Randall's, it's just better.